Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are bringing you part one of a special two-part recording Aaron did with his three sons on the topic of father and son relationships. There are lots of great and very practical nuggets of wisdom that they share in this episode, and our hope is that this recording will help each of our listeners to think more deeply about the importance of the father and son relationship. Let's tune in. Well, I, I got to say, I've been looking forward to this particular podcast for a little while. And in a moment, I'm going to introduce my three guests, three of my favorite guys on planet Earth, uh, my sons. But before I introduce them to you, the, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is I, I, have, a, I have a burning passion. I'll tell you that. I have a burning passion for, for seeing young men grow into Christ-likeness to learn what it means to be a, a biblical man, especially in a culture that's so confused about gender. A lot of guys have a lot of fear and trepidation when it comes to marriage and, and fatherhood. And the Lord has blessed me, and I consider it a true privilege to be able to raise five children to adulthood, three of which are, are men, and they're all married. And I've also been able to spend a lot of time over the last six or seven years mentoring and discipling younger guys in our church, guys between like 16 and 27, 28. And that's been a privilege. And what we want to do in this podcast is talk about father-son relationships. I want to share some things that I've learned as a father. I want to hear my sons share what they have they are learning as young men in their marriages some of the things they've learned in our family, both positives and negatives, because obviously we're not we're not perfect. And of course, we we want we want to say at the outset that any blessings that we have received as a family, as as a father and sons, is ultimately a gift from God, our gracious God. So we don't want this podcast to ultimately be about the Rock family. But at the same time, as a Christian leader, uh, you know, I think I have a responsibility to try to set somewhat of an example in my family. Uh, one of the qualifications of an elder is to be responsible and in, in charge of his family. And I've tried pretty hard to um, raise my children for Christ, and the Lord has seen fit to bless us with that. And I often have a lot of younger men ask me, you know, what are some of the the tips, the principles, the practices that you learned, uh, maybe some, some that maybe became easily to you, some that were really difficult to, to raise Christian sons. So I'm going to be introducing my three sons to you. I'm joined today by Josiah Rock, my oldest son, Levi Rock, my middle son, and Simon Rock, my youngest son. And we have three objectives through today's podcast, which by the way, might go rather long. We might even divide it up into two. We'll decide at the end, or you could listen to it in two parts. But the first thing is we, we all believe that biblical manhood is static, meaning that God defines the basic biblical parameters for what a man is and what his responsibilities are. But men throughout history live in different cultures and contexts and circumstances. So biblical manhood, the basic categories of manhood, 
to take dominion, to love God, to protect their wives and children, to lead their family, to, to initiate in all areas of life. That's static. That's the same no matter what culture you're in. But culture is fluid. And so it's helpful to hear from different generations about the unique struggles and opportunities they have. I was born in the early 70s. Uh, my sons were born in the late 90s and early 2000s. So they're in a different generation than me. And, and some of our experiences overlap and some of them are really different. So we're going to discuss that. Uh, secondly, I, I have a passion to see young men just thrive. And so any discussion about biblical manhood is, is beneficial. Uh, I've collected some questions from other men, by the way, that we're going to be discussing. I, I talked about six different men in our own church. And we're going to just have a, a, an opportunity to answer some of their questions. And uh, third, uh, I, I grew up in a, a fatherless home uh, from the age of uh, 10 onward. And while I, I love my dad uh, very much and I appreciate him, um, him and I did not grow up together. And so I had to figure out a lot of the stages of fatherhood, kind of praying a lot, asking God to give me wisdom and insight. And I want to assist other men then to think through the various stages of fatherhood. What are some of the unique challenges in raising baby boys and then uh, elementary school age boys, teenagers, and now um, having a, a, a great relationship with my adult son. So these are some of the things we're going to discuss. And again, we want to give all the glory to God as we... Um, as we enter into this podcast. And I just hope that the men that are listening, that are fathers or will be fathers will, will be blessed by this, that sons that are listening will be blessed as they think about their relationship with their dads. And I also hope that the women that are listening to this podcast will be blessed and encouraged by it to, to cheer on the men in their lives, to put some of these principles into practice. So what we'll do is let, let's just start by having each of you guys uh, introduce yourselves. Um, Tell us who you are, your age, your marital position, what you're doing in terms of vocation and job and ministry. And why don't we start with uh, my oldest son, Josiah? Yeah, uh, I'm Josiah. I am Aaron's oldest son. I'm 25. I've been married for four years to Rachel. And uh, as for a job, I am, I've just recently accepted a position as the director of worship ministries at a church in Brantford. So, yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah. Uh, my name is Levi. Um, I am 22 years old and I've been married for uh, two years, um, a little over two years. Uh, in terms of job, I, I'm in the trades doing uh, fire protection, sprinkler fitting. Um, and the main area that I, I serve at the church is through our worship ministries and uh, songwriting and recording ministries. Right on. Yeah, and my name is Simon. Um, I am 20 years old and I was just married this past July. So I've been <clears throat> married for uh, just about two and a half months now. Um, I work as a carpentry apprenticeship. So I work in the trades and uh, currently I serve at our church uh, doing Sunday morning worship leading. All right. So if we had an arm wrestling contest, who would win? I'll let you guys answer that. <laughs> probably, uh, I mean, I would say me, but truthfully, it's probably Levi. <laughs> <laughs> Not the guy who sits at a desk typing and playing guitar all that long. <laughs> yeah, well, 
being a pastor has its upsides and downsides, but that's why you also have to have a hobby farm. By the way, we're, we're, um, we're broadcasting from our property. We're actually sitting in an old horse barn, which a year ago was a chicken coop. <laughs> and uh, we're kind of renovating this building, but, um, now it's, it's good to work with your mind, but it's also uh, good to work with your, your hands. Well, you guys are all in your twenties now, 20, 22, 25 years old. I'm 50. I'm, I'm the old guy here, but it doesn't seem like that long ago that I was your age. And I, in our church, we have a lot of young men. And so I, I regularly disciple, we just started a new discipleship group recently and there's 10 or 11 guys in that. So I'm, I'm thinking about the unique challenges and struggles that your generation experiences. You're living it out. And, and there's a, there's a lot of similarities when I was your age in the nineties, there were, you know, a lot of the things that we struggle with as men, identity, how to interact with girls, how to handle our money, sexual temptation, all these sorts of things are the same today, but there's, there have been some cultural shifts. The culture is less supportive, shall we say of uh, manhood. They talk about toxic masculinity and a lot of men are, are uh, tempted to delay marriage. They almost seem disinterested in marriage because maleness has been robbed of, of its historic status. It's almost like you're a bad person if you're, if you're male. So there's some unique challenges that you guys experience, but I just want to maybe hear from each of you. What would you say to get the conversation going are the top two or three challenges that young Christian men, uh, Christian men in particular have today when it comes to living out their calling to be fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever wants to take that is welcome to. I would say one is that there are so many voices speaking into young men's lives today. We have unlimited podcasts to listen to and social media feeds and all these different internet and media voices speaking into our lives. It can be confusing sometimes to know which is the right direction to go. Um, and I think in tandem with that is that young guys are not spending enough time reading their Bibles and in the word. Uh, there was a study that came out recently asking in general, how many uh, church going Christians read their Bibles every day. And the answer was about 11%. Huh. And so if, if we've got one tenth of our young men reading their Bibles every single day, that's nowhere near enough time to combat all of the other ideas that are being promulgated through every single moment of every single day on the radio, podcasts, advertisements. Right. Because much like of it that. is lies, right? Exactly. Or it's laced with antichrist ideologies. Yeah. And even you're... stuff that mm -hmm. can sound good is, you know, sometimes not coming from a Christian perspective. And so even that's coming to you flawed and imperfect, right? So if you don't have the word to stand on and you're hearing all these other things throughout the week, how are you supposed to know how to live as a Christian man? Right. And I was going to say, I think as a result of that, one of the, the big issues that we're starting to see uh, specifically in our culture is the feminization of men where men are being told it's not okay to be a man. Um, it's almost this idea that, you know, men have had their time it's the time for, you know, for uh, what they would call uh, discriminized or marginalized groups to step up. And, and you know, men have had their, their fun in the sun, so to speak. So um, I think 
as a result of that, as men being told, look, you're not good enough or, um, being masculine is not okay. Men have kind of, uh, stepped away from things that would have traditionally be seen as masculine. Um, and I think that's a huge issue because, um, you know, the Bible speaks, uh, to a lot of things that are important to be striving for as men, um, you know, seeking dominion, um, seeking to, to conquer and to, to build, um, a Christian nation and to, to seek after women, to seek family, uh, to seek to be a leader. Um, and all of these things are being told, um, by most of the, the messages in our culture that that's not okay, that you can't, you shouldn't be doing that. You should just kind of sit down and be quiet, so to speak. So I think that's a huge, huge issue that a lot of men are struggling with right now. Yeah. And, and I would say to that, Simon, that that is one of the critical differences between when I was your age in the early nineties and the stuff you're dealing with, like there was still feminism on the prowl, but it wasn't the, the diminishment of manhood wasn't as intense and out in the open as it is today. So I think that's insightful. How about you, Levi? Um, a couple things I would say is, uh, a lack of self-awareness, um, and a lack of convictions and principles. Uh, a lot of guys don't seem to know why they do what they do or what they, what their goals are and like what their mission is. Yeah. And so they're kind of wandering around the world without, without a purpose, um, and chasing whatever comes next. Um, another one, like kind of with what Josiah was saying is again, we consume so much content now with social media and with things like YouTube and, um, reels and things like that. You can consume so much content in a day, but, um, we aren't spending nearly enough time actually critically analyzing what we're taking in, but also just actually thinking on our own as opposed to just being uh, Mm -hmm. fed again. Some of it can be very good stuff and some of it can just be complete lies depending on who you're listening to, but it all affects you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's insightful. Like an information overload is, uh, I mean, I even experienced that as a, a pastor is preparing sermons. There's there's so many things you can be thinking about. Your mind can be going 100 miles an hour in all different directions. Church life is incredibly complex. I, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit when people think I just sit around writing sermons. <laughs> you know, my job is like a little bit of everybody's job rolled into one in some respects. And and it can, it can exhaust you in a deep, deep way. When it comes to the church, so I'll, Obviously, I'm a pastor of a church, so we're thinking about, okay, what are what are the challenges people are experiencing? And then what are the structures uh, that would include programs, people that are appointed to particular offices? What are some of the structures, the resources, the tactics that you guys have benefited from in the church? And from your Christian father. So what, what are some of the resources and tactics that both Christian churches, you can speak to that, or Christian fathers should establish to help men work through some of these challenges? And what, what would you say has uh, benefited you the most or would benefit you the most? You can speak from, from your experience. Like, hey, these are some things that I experienced in the church or from you, dad, that were helpful. Or you know, these are some things that maybe I didn't experience, but I think guys growing up probably should have access to. What are your thoughts on that? 
I would uh, I would say one of the biggest one of the biggest benefits um, to growing up in your household has been that you are a very principled person. You always have been. Um, so even in terms of how you disciplined or how you taught us, you are very strict on core issues um, in a good way. But you were you were never someone who was strict on um, like more menial issues or um for example, like the, I, I friends growing up would be like they're not allowed to watch anything over PG, but then they're allowed to have their phone in their room all night long okay. with with um like internet access all hours of the night or um yeah like a lot I one thing I noticed a lot of people growing up with is their parents were strict on issues that weren't. Uh, maybe weren't as core and loose on the things that really mattered. And it kind of messed with people's uh, people's um, principles. And then the other thing I would say is, although you, I, I couldn't have asked for like a better dad growing up um, to teach those things. At the end of the day, when you become a teenager, what your dad says, you start to care about <laughs> a lot less. Right. Um, <laughs> so having like having mentors outside of your household is a, was probably the most crucial thing in my teenage years because right. someone could say to me the exact same thing as a teenager that you'd say to me, but because it's not my dad, it's easier to accept yeah. just the way teenagers are. Um, so I think by far one of the most important things is, is mentorship. And I would say that for older guys too, is, uh, pay attention to the younger guys in your church. Um, because, um, that, I think that is almost more important than any group, uh, like group, uh, context for a lot of guys growing up just to hear, have someone that listens to them and have someone to look up to who is a godly man, um, and that that went a huge that went a long way in my life um and keeping me on the the straight and narrow as a teenager mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point I, I remember when i was a kid uh we moved around a lot and because my father wasn't in the home uh i would find and i didn't know this at the time but i i would find meaningful relationships with older guys in the church maybe had kids of their own that kind of take me under their wing and mentor me a little bit I don't even think they were necessarily all that strategic about it, but it's true. You, there's a certain stage. I think it's wise for fathers to deliberately encourage other godly men to influence their sons as well, because there's going to be periods of time when the boys really don't want to listen to mm -hmm. dad, but there's other voices saying the same thing, and mm -hmm. that's important. Ultimately, the father shoulders a responsibility, but I think there's some wisdom there. Yeah, I think too... Um one thing that, that I know personally helped me, um, and I think honestly, we've all been super, super lucky to have grown up in a church where there are a lot of other fathers who are implementing a lot of the things that um, the Bible teaches and a lot of things that we've been talking about. Um, so for me, it was helpful to have uh, friends and, uh, you know, all throughout grade school and high school who um, who had a similar worldview and who had fathers who who were manly men and who genuinely sought after the Lord and sought to, um, to honor him in the way that they, they fathered their children and the way that they loved their wives. Um, and so for me, I, I benefited from having friends who had, um, similar worldviews and friends who, um, you know, we could challenge each other, um, in different areas of, of church life. And a lot of that was through our youth group, um, which was super helpful for me, you know, being consistent in youth group on, uh, 
on uh, a couple of nights during the week. Um, so all of those things kind of also fed into, um, into all of these things that we're talking about. So. Yeah. My, my answer was pretty similar. I was going to say, uh, the more churches can put godly manly men in front of young guys to look up to the better, uh, whether that's one-on-one mentoring relationships, or even just having elders who aren't afraid and who enjoy talking about what biblical manhood looks like. Um, I know there were some youth retreats that happened, uh, when I was growing up that, uh, we kind of did like guys and girls break off and we talk about what it means to be a man. And um, presumably the girls would talk about what it means to be a woman. Um, and so I just think the, the more that you give godly manly role models for young guys growing up to look up to the better. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a church leader and you're wondering like, how do you foster that environment? Just a few very quick things, make sure that you encourage it and speak positively, speak positively about manliness and masculinity in the church, appoint manly men to positions of influence And I say influence because sometimes we think of the title or the office that's less important to me than the idea of influence. You know, you can say I'm an elder, but if you're not influencing people, you're not a very good elder. You could be more influential as a youth leader, for example. Um, Also, uh, men's events, men's conferences, we're addressing real issues, addressing some of the cultural challenges of our day. These are all ways you can foster a masculine culture in your church, even something as simple as the color of the carpet, the kind of posters you put up. So we have a rule in our church that everything is designed to look manly. And a lot of the old churches you go into, they look like funeral homes or they look girlish. And here's the thing. Some of you might be thrown off by this. Women will come to churches that look manly men will feel uncomfortable in churches that look girly. So there's a strategic advantage to picking colors, picking the color of the carpet, your graphics, your logo. We don't have flowers on the stage. We don't have frilly curtains hung up anywhere. Designing a facility that attracts and it's subconscious, but men feel more comfortable there is, is might seem like a minor point, but I think it's, I think it's significant. Well, thanks for your input in that regard. So I want to go through some questions that I think a few of these I jotted down, but most of them come from uh, other men in our church and I've put them in my own words, but they communicate the essence of, of their curiosity. Um, and, you know, we'll have one or two or three of you uh, comment on, on these things. So I did a podcast a while ago. I think I know Josiah listened to it. I'm not sure if you guys listened to it, Levi and Simon listened to it or not, but I talked about the Edenic sin, right? So in Eden, we have Adam and Eve and Eve is having a conversation with the serpent and there's the the questioning of God, the diminishment of God's word and the fall of humanity into sin. And in, in Genesis, it says, and Adam was with her. So the Edenic sin, what we call the Edenic sin is male passivity. Adam should have put his hand up and said, I'm not putting up with this. I'm guarding my marriage. You're lying to my wife. Take a hike and uh, crush the serpent's head right there. But instead he, he was passive. And we've, we've talked about this as, 
as father and sons many times that there's something in men. We, we, we want to, on one hand, conquer and we want to be leaders and we want to be respected. But at the same time, if we get pushback from our wives or our children, maybe our children are misbehaving. It's like, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go passive. I'm just going to, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go watch the football game or I'm going to go cut the grass or whatever. And myself, I, in terms of my personality, I tend to be maybe a little bit more on the the bold side of things, but I can even feel the Edenic sin <laughs> creeping up in my life on occasion, right? I just don't want to deal with an issue that I should be dealing with. And I have to remind myself, no, I have a responsibility to say what needs to be said to combat the lie or the, the misbehavior, whatever it might be. So for you guys, how would you say you, and none of us have arrived, but how would you say you've been able to overcome the Edenic sin in your own marriages, in your own uh, personal disciplines, uh, in your own relationships? And how how is it? Because I think all of you are men of initiative, which is what we want. How have you been able to move away from the Edenic sin to, to identify it as the problem and, and to become a man who is comfortable with and committed to taking initiative in, in all spheres of life and responsibility? Do you want to, want to start with the young guy, the newlywed? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I would say um, it's definitely something that that I know that I struggle with is um, in a lot of areas of life, um, almost coming to to an impasse and, and being the sense of like, okay, you know, I could say something here or, or I could not say something. And if I don't say something, it might be easier. Um, but in the long, in the long run, I, I know what God has called me to as a man. And I know that even if I'm not necessarily right, um, in everything that I'm, I'm saying, whether it's in terms of, you know, solving a marital conflict or not that I've had too many of those cause it's not, hasn't been that long anyway, but, yeah. <laughs> or, or an issue at work or whatever it is. Um, I think it, well, first of all, I think humility is important to recognizing, look, I can bring up an issue. I can seek to, to lead and initiate in whatever area it is. But at the end of the day, I need to be humble and recognize that I might not be right in everything. But the thing that I know and I can be certain that in, in being right in is, is just talking about it and not being quiet and, um, and just not saying anything and just going with the flow. Like these things lead to, to much, much worse issues that just continue to compound over each other. Um, you know, as you, as you don't say anything or as you don't, um, you know, push away this Edenic sin and push away um, our natural desire to be passive. How about you, Josiah? Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I've learned uh, quite a bit, even this past year is just the more I pray and the more I'm in the word, the more I have to stand on confidently when it comes time to make a decision, whether that's a direction I think uh, my wife and I should be going or something that we need to shift on or, or whatever, uh, you know, potentially difficult or uncomfortable conversation, you know, I think we need to have. I, I am so much more confident in, in uh, what I think the Lord's placed on my heart when I'm reading the Bible and praying every day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I haven't 
open my Bible for weeks on end, then I, I don't really have much to stand on. It's just kind of my own opinion. And, and so I think combating the Edenic sin for me, this is maybe a, not a very profound answer, but it is really just being in the word and praying and seeking the Lord. And if I think the Lord is leading us in a direction, then I can move in that direction. And, and my wife will come alongside, uh, you know, whether that's right away or it takes a little bit. So, um, my, my tendency is if, if I deem something to be a very minor issue in my head, I, I don't tend to bring it up. And that usually compounds into when it becomes 10 little issues that I don't bring up. Um, then there's a, a big issue to deal with after that. So I would say, I would say as Simon said, it is worth the conversation, um, as much as we're not tone police, how you approach your wife with things does matter to you. Um, that's a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, that's a huge one. I, my, my tendency is, is to wait till there's a big issue to say something. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's, um, again, if, if there's just little day to day things that I don't consider to be as big of a deal, I, my, I'm like, Oh, it's not worth a fight. If, if nothing is actually in the realm of sin or, past what I'm comfortable with at that moment, but learning more and more to say things when I start to see patterns, um, has been super helpful. Um, my wife is also very good at, um, when she sees an issue, she says something right away. Okay. (laughs) And, um, as, as a man, sometimes that, sometimes that's not what I would want, but it's always beneficial. Like not what I would want in my carnal nature, but it's always beneficial to our marriage when we discuss discuss issues when they come up and not being passive in terms of um it's like I'm not being a peacemaker by not saying anything. I'm being lazy in mm-hmm. in my role yeah. as, as a husband. Yeah. So just being intentional, not letting my feelings lead how I how I um act as a husband. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. So we've we've identified obedience as critical, just being obedient to what God has said and being in the word and being a man of prayer is, is critical. Also acknowledging the consequences. Like there's no upside to being passive. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you guys just need to say that out loud. There's no upside <laughs> to being passive. Look at how it worked out for Adam and Eve. <laughs> so there's no upside to it. And I also appreciate what Simon said there that um, we don't have to be absolutely right all the time. And we all like to be right, but maybe just bringing it up will, will make us aware that we're wrong or we'll yeah. adjust. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, so if I'm talking to Susie about an issue, oftentimes the fact of the matter is somewhere in between our opinions. It's not always, well, she's right this time or I'm wrong. It's mm-hmm. often we're just adjusting. We're just discussing. <clears throat> it's not even like a right or wrong thing. It's a, it's, it's about opening doors of communication and, and passivity doesn't obviously help in that regard. I've also been asked a question So you guys are in your early 20s, and I've had to think a lot about what is my relationship with guys in their early 20s, again, because my dad wasn't around so much. So I remember when you guys started moving out, Josiah, you left for school seven years ago, I guess, and Simon recently moved out, Levi, a few years ago. You're all married now. I'm thinking, okay, what does this look like? like? What are the dynamics of... They're not under my roof anymore. They're not under my authority. Um, I'm for two of you. I'm still your pastor, so that's also a dynamic. But what are the what are the unique dynamics to being a father now of 
adult sons that are married. And I'm still trying to figure some of that out. I'll, I'll comment on that briefly. I'm still a bit of a rookie in that area, but I'll comment <laughs> on that briefly. But I, what I can comment on fairly confidently is the stages leading up to that. So um, I'll sort of take this question and then you guys can fill in any gaps or just comment on it. So obviously stage number one is you, you have the babies, right? So we, you have the babies and I would say here, it might sound kind of trite, but your main responsibility is just like keeping them alive, <laughs> keeping them fed, keeping diapers changed, make sure they don't fall downstairs and stick their fingers in electrical sockets and that sort of thing. And then very quickly, you, you start to move into like a socialization or what I would call a disciplining phase. And, what, and I don't want to use the word discipline in a negative way. So discipline is not just you did something wrong. I got to step in and intervene. Discipline is adjustments. It's affirmation. It's it's building discipline in in your sons and setting the boundaries. I think you every parent of multiple children knows that there are different bents that children have. So um, thinking back to, let's say, Josiah, I remember when Josiah was really little, he was generally happy-go-lucky. Levi, you, I would say, were a little bit more serious, sensitive. Simon was a bit more goofy, right? And then your <laughs> sisters had their own personalities. So you're, you're adjusting your, your fathering, your parenting to the personality of the child. You want to be sensitive to their strengths and weaknesses. You're disciplining. And, but very quickly, I would say from the age of three or four onward, you're starting to have meaningful spiritual conversations. I remember Josiah and I sitting at the kitchen table talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ when he was three, three and a half years old. And I, I, I distinctly, I'll never forget, I distinctly remember him dropping his head and realizing he was a sinner and he was under four years old and he was kind of gripped by his own sin. And I realized, man, he can actually track with me on these issues. We can actually discuss mm -hmm. these things. So then, then when you get into those eight years, which, you know, three, four, five years old, right through to uh, teenagehood, you're, you're discussing behavior, you're, you're setting the boundaries. And I would say for younger fathers, no matter who you are, there, there are points when you just feel exhausted. Like how many times do I have to tell these boys <laughs> to knock it off? Do you remember when you guys were always wrestling and. Simon's the biggest now, but he was the smallest then, and he ended up crying all the time. And I just the that's biggest enough. <laughs> that's enough. No more. You can't touch each other. You don't. You're not wrestling. You're not touching each other. If I see you put a finger on each other, I just had enough, right? So there's that. There's an exhaust. Um, there's a point of exhaustion that every parent uh, reaches, but never give up. Never give in. Uh, the, the worst thing that parents can do, I see kids in the mall or kids in a store or even kids in church, the kids lipping back and the parent just throws their hands up in the air and says, ah, I just I don't know what to do with this kid. They're saying it right in front of them. You're basically saying you win. Mm. I just lost as a parent. Mm. So being persevering is important. Teaching kids early on about finances is important, not just for money's sake, but finances are often a, a way of teaching responsibility. So, uh, Josiah, since you're the oldest, I've told this story to others. I remember when you got your first, uh, was it Penny Saver? Yeah. You were delivering these newspapers, what, once a week or something? Yep, every Thursday. Every Thursday. And you, I think you made like $8.50, <laughs> if I recall, a week. And I sat you down. How old were you, like eight or nine? Uh, a little older than, probably like 10. But okay. Yeah. So 10 years old. And um, 
I had this serious chat with you and I said, uh, you know, Josiah, you're, you're a working man. Now you're making your eight fifty a week and it costs your mother and I a lot of money to feed you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take 90% of your money and leave you with 85 cents. And then I just waited <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and I said, well, I have another, I have another option if you want to hear it. Oh, what is it? I said, well, how about this? How about I don't take any of your money? but you promised to save 50% to for long-term expend, expenditures. You can spend 40%, but you have to tithe 10%. You're like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take option B, right? So I did that on purpose because I wasn't taught how to handle money. I learned it when I was about 22, and it's been super beneficial ever since then. I sat down with a financial advisor, and all the lights came on. But I wanted you guys to learn early on the value of money, and top of the heap was you have to be giving and then there's saving and spending. And those are things you teach early on. You don't wait till the child's finished their bachelor of science and has got their first paycheck to talk finances. You do that early. So I, I was always a big proponent of kind of the principle when you, when you think the child is ready to talk about an issue, you probably should have been talking to them about it a year earlier. <laughs> like they're very much ready probably before you think they're ready. Um, I also always encouraged you guys to have a positive view of marriage. Now, you know, all of our kids have married fairly young, you know, 21 and under. And we didn't put pressure on you. It was like, you got to get married. You got to marry this person. But it's not the way we rolled. But I, I was aware of the fact that in our culture, there was this emphasis on delayed marriage. Oh, you got to have a house. You got to finish a couple degrees. You got to be, you know, 28, 30 years old before you get married. I'm like, no, um, get married young and grow together and no pressure. If the Lord doesn't bring someone into your life, there's no pressure. But if you have the opportunity, get married young. And these are things that I think are important to instill in children's minds on the younger side of things. And then there's that whole, Levi, you alluded to this earlier, and I'd like to bring this up a little bit. So when you're releasing kids into childhood, one of the things I said to you guys is, look, when you're 18, officially my job's done. So if you're still living in my house, it's a privilege, but my job is done. Like if, if by 18, you're not a fully functioning adult who can make decisions, who can drive a vehicle, who can handle their own money, who can be married, you know, whatever life has in store for you, then I haven't done a good job. So my goal was by 18, I wanted each of you to be fully functioning adult men. But I got to tell you this, that was hard on me because even though I wanted you to grow up into manhood, I kind of wanted to keep you around a little bit too. And then of course, there's this weird dynamic, which fathers generally don't experience with their their sons or their daughters, I should say, but the experience with their sons. And it's like, this guy is a man now. There's another man living in my house. And as much as he's my son and I love having him around, there's also this dynamic like, hey, dude, move out, move out. So there's, <laughs> there's these, and I know for you guys too, like we, you know, we've had our ups and downs. But we've always more or less got along. I know I see it in you. It's like, I, I kind of, I like dad, but I, I kind of want to be my own man. And I'm like, well, I like having you around, but I'd kind of like you to move out. And there's this, <laughs> And it's not a negative thing. It's it's yeah. about it's about natu the natural trajectory of things. Like at some point, baby mammals get to a point where their mother's like, "Stop nursing off me! Like, <laughs> go away! You know, start your own herd." Or if it's a bird, go form your own flock. 
Um, and so those are some things that I've um, been thinking about. And then I will just comment on releasing you into marriage. I'm super delighted that you've all married, you know, godly um, Christian women who love the Lord as well. And I want to be the, the dad that gives you freedom and liberty. I don't want to be a helicopter dad or be asking lots of questions, but just every once in a while, I want the liberty to kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, like, how's that going? And, you know, is there anything we need to talk about? More of a, a coach mentor rather than having projecting any sort of authority over your marriage. And unfortunately, I think some people struggle with that. They think they have authority over their children's marriage and they don't. But at the same time, I don't think it's the greatest idea to never speak into your children's lives as adults. And, you know, at times, Levon actually had a chat in this very room several months ago, and he was kind of bringing some things up that I benefited from. He's just pointing out some weaknesses in my own life. And so having that, I'll always be your dad, but you're adult men. And I want to I want to make it like super clear. And I think all Fathers should make this clear. Like you are actually an adult. I don't have authority over your your marriage or your decisions anymore. But I'd kind of like to still coach along and mentor you if you don't mind. So those are some things that come to my mind and answer the question about the stages. Do you guys want to add? Because there anything about those stages that kind of you remember uh, as being important? Maybe um, uh, a stage where, in hindsight, now you're like, yeah, that okay, now I understand why he did that or I want to replicate that in my relationship. Or even if even if you think I fumbled the ball and you want to do things differently, feel free to comment. Um, I would say like just on the topic of one point that you made was if you think it's time to start talking to your kids, you should probably be talking to them a year before. Um, serving in youth, youth ministry in the past, you saw that a lot, especially in middle school kids. Uh, middle middle school boys especially they look 11 12 13 year olds look like little kids still but they're starting to think like teenagers and a huge thing i found in that is like kids are getting exposed to um things like pornography pornography and um more sexual immorality than ever before at a younger age than ever before um so you you did do a good job of talking to us about that kind of stuff um and being aware of it but there's so many so many parents that seem to think that their kids are innocent way longer than they are um so having having conversations about sexuality at a at a very young age like seven eight nine ten is not not too young, especially in a world where they're probably going to be exposed to those things at that, at those ages would be a big one, I'd say. And yeah, uh, when I was talking about this recently, it's like, as soon as I turned 18, I, I didn't actually find myself to be overly rebellious towards you or feeling like feeling like I need to disrespect you as a, as a kid. Um, because you are a strong, a strong man and a strong authority figure. I didn't feel, I didn't feel a lot of that, but as soon as I turned 18, you weren't even doing anything wrong or being overbearing to me, but it was just anytime you'd ask me to do something, not, not at all out of your bounds as the head of the house. It would just bother me just a little bit. <laughs> and so that, that was like, he's not this, there's no sin going on here. It's just like, I, I know it's time to move out because there's this tension. Um, and so I would say our, our relationship is really, um, benefited a lot from me moving out once once i was at that stage as well um but again there's a lot of 
that even four years ago it was a lot easier for me to buy a house than it is for guys now. So a lot of people seem to be stuck in their parents' houses mm-hmm. even longer than they would like even hardworking young men are, are kind of in their parents' household longer than they would be. Um, so I would just say to those people is still respect your dad as the, as the man of the house. Don't disrespect him. Don't be um, ungrateful for what he's doing, but you can still, you, you should, you should be pulling your weight around the house too. Um, but look for opportunities to move out. But again, just be respectful, even though you probably, you probably are a little bit annoyed when your dad tells you what to do. It's still his house. So, um, respect that. So, yeah. Something that I've found tremendously helpful, um, as I moved into adulthood and then into marriage and, um, those two kind of were probably the most significant and drastic transitions in, in our relationship, uh, was if, if you saw something that you wanted to speak into, uh, whether it was something I was doing well or poorly, or just needed some direction on, you would preface the conversation by saying something like, Josiah, I am speaking to you now as your dad, or I'm speaking to you now as just a guy who's a little bit farther along in ministry than you are, or, or I'm speaking to you as your pastor. Um, those, the prefaces to the conversation really helped to just frame, okay, this is where he's coming from right now. Um, especially at the beginning when I turned 18, I found when you would say, use, use prefaces like that to, to start giving me advice or whatever it was. Uh, it just helped me to be like, okay, he's coming at me from, from that, from that place. Uh, and also no matter which, uh, hat you were putting on in that conversation, um, just saying those words kind of communicates to communicated to me that, Oh, he's coming at me from a place of, he just wants me to grow and do better. He's not telling me what to do, uh, just to be a, an authoritarian. He's, he, uh, he genuinely wants, he genuinely wants me to do well. And so that's something that's always stuck out to me. And, you know, we still have those kinds of conversations and it's great. I find that super helpful. Yeah. Um, I was just going to go back to the, the idea of teaching your kids uh, about certain principles or ideas younger than you might even expect or think uh, that it would be valuable to them. Um, one thing I was sp- thinking of, about specifically that, that I found very beneficial um, was the idea of dealing with your own finances very young. Like I remember being, probably seven or eight seven, years old, yeah. seven, yeah, maybe seven years old and going to, to our bank and getting my first debit card. And I probably had a total of like a dollar 50 in my bank account, just <laughs> enough to like get a couple chocolate bars from Dollarama or something. But, um, and I remember telling my friends at school about that and they're like, are you kidding me? Like my mom wouldn't let, it's not going to let me get a debit card until I'm 14 or w- whatever it was. Um, but so it was almost kind of weird when I was, when I was a kid, because I was like, Oh, like I didn't know that this wasn't, wasn't a normal thing because all of my older siblings did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely a beneficial thing. Um, because, uh, it gets you thinking, at least for me, it got me thinking from a young age, you know, thinking about, about future finances, even as a young kid, you know, I have $20 and if I save up, um, from my, you know, my paper out job for this long that I can, you know, that I can save up for whatever I wanted or, or, or just those kind of things. Like it seems so mundane maybe to an adult, but those things are actually very important. Um, 
and it, it's not just about finances. Like it gets, um, you know, younger children, and of course it's to a smaller degree, but it does get them thinking about, about longer term things instead of just thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, the next week or the next month. Um, it's, it's thinking longer term and, and, I think, especially for, for boys thinking longer term and, and starting to think about that at a, at a younger age is very, very valuable. Yeah. I still remember that conversation that you had with me when you sat me down at the table and told me you're going to take away 90% of my income. <laughs> <laughs> the second offer sounded like a pretty sweet deal. And uh, <laughs> I, it's funny to think back in hindsight, my uh, reaction to that. But honestly, it's one of my clearer memories for, as a kid. And, uh, you know, budgets become more complicated as the older you get. But those principles are still there in how Rachel and I budget our money. I, I remember uh, many times seeing you guys working at something and I'm like, oh, I, want, I want to go help these guys. And <laughs> You know, I, like, I remember you trudge off in a snowstorm to deliver <laughs> these papers and I almost felt like an abusive parent. But I think it's really important, again, to treat children beyond their perceived maturity. They, they're probably more mature than you think. And previous generations had it hard. I think, if anything, we should probably assume that we we have it pretty good. Um, not Not trying to rescue your child from every difficult task, uh, not trying to rescue them from every conflict that they experience, not assuming that they are in the wrong. Maybe this would be helpful for those of you with younger kids. One of the principles I always had with you guys is if any parent came to me and said, you know, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a school teacher, and said, you know, little Josiah or little Levi or little Simon did A, I would assume my first assumption is they are correct and my child is in the wrong. And it wasn't because I wanted you to feel like I wasn't on your side, but the default for parents should be to assume that if an adult has identified an issue in a child's life, the adult's probably right. Now, there's times mm-hmm. when you discover the adult is wrong, but I think it's 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 a bad move for parents to feel like, oh, I just always, always got to defend my child from every little challenge they experience. I got to rescue them from every hard chore they have to do. I, I'll, I'll just go earn their money for them. You know, they're too young, they're too little. I just think this is an, a critical mistake that does not contribute to maturity. And especially for boys, I remember when I was very young and a, a man would trust me to do a manly job that would, you know, swell my chest. I'm like, oh, he's treating me like mm-hmm. a man. It would motivate me to want mm-hmm. to to do better. So I think I think that's a, something we need to keep working on Let's talk a little bit about discipline. So I do remember some times when, when I felt I under-disciplined you. There's a couple times, we've talked about this, when I over-disciplined you, generally lost my cool, started yelling or something like that. But I think those were the rare exception to the rule. And when it comes to the word of God, the Bible talks about training up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart. The Bible talks about children honoring their mother and father. The Bible talks about fathers not exasperating their children. So we, we have, we have a, a body of literature in the, in the scriptures that speak to child discipline. It's not silent on this issue. In terms of how it's applied to all the specifics, you know, there's, there's a wisdom and discernment. But here, here's my thinking when it comes to discipline. My thinking is that 
when we study the word of God, we need to identify the clear commands that God has given to us. And then when you're raising your, your children, you expect those clear commands to be obeyed without exception. You don't allow for any exceptions to it. So, um, I never allowed you guys to say no to me. Is that not accurate? So it's like, you never say no to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe on, one occasion. Yeah, I was going to say, we all said no I remember. <laughs> we all said no one time and never did again. <laughs> and I, I, it, it grieves me when I see parents trying to tell their kid to do something. They're acting up in church or whatnot. The child says no. And the, the parent doesn't react to that. Like this might sound kind of crass, but to me, that's worse than the F word. You never say no to your parent. If your parent says, go to bed, you go to bed. Now you have to discipline children in the area of forgetfulness. There's many times when I, I sense that you were disobeying me, but it was more out of forgetfulness than uh, you know, a deliberate desire to be to be disrespectful or to be disobedient. And in terms of um, you know, going to church or youth group, these just weren't even options. Like we're not having this discussion. And you guys never bucked me in that. I think you always enjoyed it because we framed those things up as positive. So what we did is we decided, okay, there's a, there's a, it's still a long list, but it's a relatively short list of absolutes. These are the things you do. These are the things you don't do. And there's absolutely no exceptions to those rules. But then we, we created a boundary fence. So if you think of a, a soccer field or a football stadium, you, you build these big high fences around the stadium. And then you say to the players, okay, as long as you don't run outside the fences, you can kind of do whatever you want in the field. So there's flexibility to, to do really well or not do so well. Um, so you're going to go to school, but I wasn't going to discipline you if you didn't get 95%. I was like, if you, if you want to be a crummy student, that's on you, but you're going to school. I might speak to you if you were you know, deliberately slacking it, or I would say something like, um, you know, when it came to curfews, I don't think we really ever gave you guys curfews that I remember, but the, the rule was if you break the curfew, then you have a curfew. It's like, yeah, but what's the curfew? Well, use your brain. If you break the curfew, you'll have a curfew. So what I was trying to teach you there is some, some wisdom in that regard. And, um, the whole idea, uh, and I think I passed to the church that way as well. We have some high boundary fences. There's just things you, you don't do as in our church. It's just, it's just not going to go well for you, but, but we're not legalistic. We're not like policing everyone's, everyone's, um, behavior. Now I was a kid once too. And when I grew up, I suddenly appreciated the discipline <laughs> to a greater degree than when I was a child. Would you guys say that was true for you as well? And if so, when did that transition take place? Like when was it where it's like, I can't stand the discipline to suddenly, you know, this kind of makes sense. And I, I want you to, sh I want, I want to hear from you because I want to encourage parents that, you know, are in the process of disciplining their children and getting a lot of pushback. I want to encourage them that chances are there's going to be a time when the child appreciates them for that. I think I probably started to appreciate uh, the discipline in hindsight around when I moved up to college and kind of started living on my own. Um, just because all of a sudden I was more responsible for like everything. I had to buy my own groceries and manage my money. And, and there was just a little bit more on the tape on, on my plate. Um, so that's when it started But I think I still, to this day have 
moments of hindsight where I'm like, oh, that's why he did that. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it was when I started living on my own and kind of got got what life is like as an adult that I began to really appreciate a lot of uh, the moments of discipline. Yeah. I, I, as you said, I was, I, I was probably more on the sensitive side for the group here, at least. I don't know. To a average guy standard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when, when you disciplined me, I would remember it for years. <laughs> okay. It's like, Long yeah, it, um, like if I got disciplined or if I really messed something up and I was disciplined for it, I did not forget that, <laughs> that occasion. Um, there was times where like, there was times where I, I guess I harbored bitterness and stuff towards it again, not because, um, not because of something you did wrong necessarily, just because of my own personality. And then there's three stages to learning to appreciate that moving out, getting married and having a kid. (laughs) (laughs) All of which you've crossed, you've crossed all those three bridges. (laughs) That's good. So if parents, if you're listening, please, please endure. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it is his true though. It's like, it goes from man, my dad's, my dad's so annoying that he's disciplining me for this to, Move on. So my dad, the best dad of the world. How am I going to be as good of a <laughs> of a dad to my kids as he was yeah. to me in in these types of areas? So, well, I think it's really important. I when I was disciplined um, by my mom, uh, or even sometimes by by other adults, and I was corrected. I had a Christian boss that was pretty influential in my teen years, and you know, sometimes he would say something that would hurt me because I respected him, but I realized it was good for me to hear afterwards. It, it has to be. You know, maybe not in the moment, but you you eventually realize, yeah, that was actually done out of love. Mm-hmm. Right? It may not feel like it in the moment. Uh, and there's times when we, when we cross the line. I mean, think about it. When I had Josiah, I was 25. You're 25 now. And if you were, let's say, three or four, maybe you'd have memories of me at the age of 28. And you would have thought, man, there's this this old guy, this, you know, this father figure that's disciplining me. I'm 50. I think a 20 year old's a pretty young dude. And <laughs> so the reality is when we become fathers, relatively speaking, we're, we're not much older than teenagers ourselves. And, you know, it's a learning process for us to, to learn to be fathers and to learn to discipline, discipline our sons. I want to talk a bit about spirituality. So, <clears throat> Spirituality, of course, is a, a broad term, but we we believe that our mission in this world is to glorify God, that God's mission is to bring glory to himself. And by his grace, in order to bring glory to himself, he saves us from our sins. He sent his son to die for, for our sins. And so uh, I think sometimes when the gospel is preached, it's more like, hey, this is what Jesus did for you. And it's all about you. And, it, and when you get around to accepting him, why don't you accept him? And it's almost a, it's weird because we, we present him as our savior, but then we almost present him as this guy that just exists to make our lives better. And it's super helpful to, 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 think, to think differently about that. I think biblically, the, the mission of God is the glory of God. I've often said that. And I've tried to remind myself of that and the decisions I make and remind my congregation, obviously remind my sons and daughters 
of that. Um, when it comes to building spirituality in your children, where my tactics were probably different than many parents is I, I kind of resisted formulaic approaches. So I resisted approaches along the lines of, you know, every night at six o'clock, we're having family devotions. Um, you know, you're going to pray and you're going to read your Bible from this time to this time, sort of formulaic approaches. I, I don't have a problem with disciplines, formulas. Like if you, if you decide as a father every night around the dinner table, you're going to read a passage of scripture. That's great. Um, I just chose a bit of a different approach. I wanted, I wanted to demonstrate to you guys in my own personal life that I really actually bona fide love God and want to learn more about him, period. So what we would do, I would say, is just have a lot of conversations. And you guys remember that. We would just have a lot of conversations. They would just, around the dinner table, something would come up. We'd be analyzing a situation in the church or something we saw on television or some behavior at school. Or we would, um, there was a period of time when, for many years, I'd take one of you guys out every Monday night and I'd ask, you know, what's your high, what's your low, what are some good things going on in your life? How's your, when you get older, what's your sexual purity like if you were dating someone, you know, how's that relationship going? We just, lots of conversations, more of an organic than a, a formulaic um, approach. And we, we sang together. I know you guys are all musicians, but I'm not a musician, but I love music. And I know you all remember me singing to you at night and uh, probably the only song you thought was a little weird was into the tent where the gypsy boy lay. <laughs> there's this old song about a, a gypsy boy that's dying and the missionary comes to him in hindsight the kids have told me that was a little creepy dad <laughs> but we would do that or Daniel Lyons den or whatever and we'd sing some of the older hymns of, of the Christian faith and I I just feel that's important I feel it's important not to I feel it's important not to raise your kids in a formulaic way, but in more of an organic way to sing, to worship, to discuss, to confront. And even when you confront, confront the important things. So uh, we like to tease each other. So Josiah here, if and I know this is a podcast, you can't see, I don't, I don't have much hair left. You guys all have lots of hair. Josiah's got a little bit longer hair. So when he showed up, I'm like, what's up with the longer hair, dude? <laughs> so we're, we tease each other about things like that. Um, but I really don't care. Like, I don't care about that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's not, it's not important to me. I never said to you guys, you know, get, you have to get your hair cut. It's, you know, I don't like if you had, you never did, but if you had green hair, I'd be like, you look like an idiot. But <laughs> if you have green hair, have green hair. Um, what would you say, uh, both in our church and in our father son relationship? And again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, my intention is not to, my intention is to educate fathers, not highlight. I honestly, I'm not interested in highlighting my personal strengths, but we're all learning lessons from the older generation. What would you say are some of the tactics or methods or principles that helped you to grow in your walk with the Lord? Because I know each of you, like me, has strengths and weaknesses, but I sense you all actually believe in Christ your sisters, Abby and Kezia do as well. You love the Lord. You really want to serve the Lord. What were some of the influences from our church, from your relationship with me, from other, from one another? I know you've, especially as adult men, you guys are, I think, pretty influential on one another. Can you just speak to that mm -hmm. issue a little bit? Yeah, I would say um, 
and maybe maybe it almost sounds kind of weird to people listening but one way that we i think probably all of us have bonded bonded with you as our father over the years is as we've had these conversations just eating dinner or you know as we went out um just hanging out or whatever we did um one of the ways we've bonded is actually by analyzing things together i don't know if you've noticed that but like we'll analyze the culture or we'll analyze uh, people at school or people in the church and um you know it's actually kind of funny because that's one of the biggest benefits that I've found in my relationship with you um, is is learning how to think critically. And the reason it's so important is because critical thinking, uh, it, it, it goes along with so many things. So one thing is um, critically thinking about my own life, thinking, OK, how is my Bible reading? How is my prayer life? Um, you know, have I talked to anybody about Christ in the past month? Um, you know, am I talking to guys at work about, um, about church and not being ashamed of that and, and just speaking about, um, God throughout my day. And I think being analytical about your life, you know, you don't have to analyze every little thing and every little detail and overthink everything that's going on in your life. But that's one thing that I think you've fostered in all of us is, is being <laughs> analytical, thinking through issues and, and seeking to amplify, uh, imp- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Implement. Implement. Yes. Um, implement, um, you know, the things that you're thinking about into your life and, and seeking to act on them. How about you guys? Do you have any things that kind of jump to mind that uh, might fill in some of the blanks for our listeners? Um, I have f- four things that come to mind. One with what Simon was saying, a huge one was you you made it very clear that you loved us and you also made it very clear that we weren't your perfect little angels that could do no wrong. Um, in the sense of, um, I think you raised us to be critical thinkers and be self self-aware to some degree. And obviously that you grow in that through your whole life, but, um, being self-aware, I think is a huge one. Um, growing up just to identify flaws in my own walk with Christ and in relationships um, was one one way of like disciplining that you would just point out pretty much every time you discipline, you'd point out the root issue, not Mm -hmm. necessarily what we're doing. And that was super helpful, too. So um, if I was acting to Simon in some way, um, it wouldn't just be like, hey, you're being an idiot to Simon. It's like you're being prideful or you're not loving Simon in this moment. And that was super helpful to um, like, see, it's like, Oh, I actually have like a root issue that I have mm-hmm. to deal with um, was a huge one. Um, I think that we were a little bit more formulaic when we were younger kids in terms of family yeah. devotions and even just things like Sunday school or talking about those things, which I think is important for, for young, like young kids. I'm talking about probably 10 and under. There's a lot more of that. Um, as we got older, um, one thing that I benefited from a lot was, um, being kind of allowed to be around adult conversations. So when you guys would have people over and you're discussing with other parents, even as a eight, nine, 10 year old, hearing how they would like things they would do with their kids. Um, and you talking about your situation, um, was super helpful. Um, because it, it saw or it helped me see you putting it into practice. Um, like you were, you were always the same person, I guess is what I'm trying to say is you're the same person when you, when we were 
at home, you're the same person at church and you're the same person we had people over for dinner. So seeing, seeing the consistency in your character, um, and as a teenager, the big one that sticks out was definitely the Monday nights going out. So we rotated between the five kids. So we knew every five weeks we'd be going out with you. And it was always those one or two weeks before going out with you. It was like, I really got to get my act together. Cause I know yeah. he's going to be asking me <laughs> about, um, <laughs> about what, how I'm doing. Um, so it was like, it was a different type of accountability. Um, but just knowing that was coming up was like, okay, I, I got to get my act together. <laughs> A lot of the uh, influence on my own personal spiritual life from you and mom came from uh, just seeing you guys reading your Bible. I remember there was always, um, you know, a certain time of night typically where all of a sudden I'd be like, well, I don't know where mom is. And then she'd be in her room and I, I, you know, I'd go looking for her for whatever reason and I'd see her reading her, her Bible and uh, same with you, dad. And I just, uh, it wasn't anything that you tried to force upon us or hide from us. It was just something that you both did in your own personal lives and seeing that communicated the immense priority that uh, personal spiritual development had uh in your life and it, it communicated the importance to me right on well, i can tell you this i benefited from uh watching older parents so if you guys were five i'd watch parents that had 12 year olds if you guys were 12 i'd watch parents that had 18 year olds and learn from them hmm. and i think there's a sense in which that's a blessing when we're around when we're in intergenerational church we were able to download a lot of those lessons to to the next uh, generation. And so hopefully some of these things you guys can um, uh, pass on to, to your sons and uh, your daughters as well. Well, hey guys, I think we're gonna wrap up part one of this podcast and uh, we're going to um, hopefully do uh, a, a second part together, answering some more of the questions, but hopefully our conversation so far has been a, a blessing to our listeners. And uh, we're looking forward to um, being back with you uh, a week from now for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Well, those are some great insights that we've been able to listen in on between Aaron and his sons. We hope that you'll tune in next week to part two of this conversation about father and son relationships. In the meantime, please take an opportunity to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. You can also share the podcast and make sure also to head over to pursuitofglory.org, which is a resourcing site of Pastor Aaron's where you can find this podcast as well as many other resources. The podcast is also available over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network and their companion app, Pub TV. We hope you'll make use of those as well. Please tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.